You're listening to Brandon Butter, a straight-talking, occasionally in-your-face, no BS branding podcast for modern marketers and business owners. Here for those who want to understand the influence and power of branding and how pairing association, consumer behavior, and design thinking can impact what people see, think, and feel. I'm your host, Tara Ladd, the sometimes funny, sometimes vulnerable, and often unapologetically blunt founder and creative director of brand and design agency, your one and only. Hello, welcome to this week's episode. Pretty good one this week. I think when there's confusion in delivering specifically content for your brand, your business, there's a general consensus that it's usually something broken within the strategy. And now we hear the word strategy thrown around so much, but it's essentially just creating a plan or a roadmap or a direction into the objective that you want to hit. Now, if you're just putting things out and hoping to God that it's going to work, that's not a strategy. So let's dive into this a little bit more. In today's episode, what I want you to get by the end is at least an outline of what you can do to start to change the direction that your brand is heading in. And we're going to do that through a step-by-step outline that will give you areas that you may not have even thought about. Currently in my program for your one and only, the Brand Brain Lab, which is a coaching program for helping people to align their brand strategy, but more coaching them with their brand. And a lot of those elements involve top level core strategy. And by top level core strategy, what I'm talking about is the essential pillars that you need to begin your brand. Too often, they're not. What we get from people is we need a logo because we need to put it on social media. And I'm like, okay, cool. But what about everything else that sits underneath that? The everything else is what I'm going to talk about today. So you would have heard the word thrown around all the time. And that's purpose. Now, without a purpose, you're essentially, I mean, look, you don't have to have a big glorified purpose goal, right? It's just that you need a reason to exist. Otherwise, why would you not just be an employee? And if it's for the money, (laughs) it's a lot of hard work for that money. It is. It really is. So there needs to be an underlying reasoning as to why you've started your brand to begin with. And now in next week's episode, I'm going to dive a little further into mission and vision statements and the purpose. But today I'm going to outline the steps, step-by-step process that you take to kind of build out a cohesive brand strategy. So let's start with number one. Obviously, we need to talk about the plan. 
So setting your objective for why you're in business. So you need to define your business goals. So you've got to outline the short-term and long-term objectives, right? And establish a clear direction for your brand's growth and success. Because without that, why are you in business? If you don't have pillars to hit and you don't have goals to align to, then what exactly are you trying to do? It's like, well, I mean, people run for the sake of running. I was going to use that as an example. That's a wrong example. But it's like just training all the time with no actual event. The event solidifies what you're training for. So say you've got a big glorious goal and it doesn't have to be anything outlandish. It just has to be something that makes you want to do what you do. I've always felt with your one and only that I could provide people with a service that wasn't the typical agency model and really brought the personality of what we have to offer to the table, which is why um, we have Shani from Wild Spark Copy, shout out over here, helped me to add some cool keyword terminology into our brand messaging update. And you'll see it all over our website now. It's, you know, we're unpretentious yet charismatic because we aren't pretentious. We're not going to think that we're better than you. There is no ego in what we do. There is just general friendship and conversation. Now, don't take friendship out of alignment. It is just a great service. Like we try to screen people, you know, obviously we've had experiences everyone has that you kind of go, whoops, they've slipped through. But generally nine times out of 10, the clients that we work with are absolutely golden. And that's because we run a good screening process in the call. I want to know that there's, there's a connection. And if there's no connection, then I'm going to, sorry, I'm just going to say, I don't think we're the right fit. And especially if someone says, you know, are you, what, how much do you cost? Like, I understand that there's a budget there, but if you're looking at us and you're pitting us against other agencies, then also don't want to work with us. Like you, I don't want to work together because I want you to, to work with us because there is more than just what we do. And if you can't get that through the call and through our communication that we send out prior to that and, you know, through our presence, then that's not what we're about. It, and, and that's what most of the people come to us for. So essentially we're creating, you want to only exist because I wanted to create a service that just was no bullshit, just something that was a really good process that we did work that we really like to do to help businesses disrupt and, you know, revolutionize their brand, as we say, because that's what we're all about. It's nothing big and glorified. It's just, that's why we're in business. It's because we did, I personally did not feel that I could go and work for another business that had, had my values and the reason why I wanted to work. So I wanted to also create a culture where the people that worked with us loved to work there as much as we did. And we did that. And we, I know for a fact that everyone that's worked with us has loved the experience And just like any other job, you move in and you move out, depending on where you're at in life and how you want to grow. But, you know, I have no doubt that I'll be working with all of the people that have worked with your one and only again at one stage or another, because it's all about creating a culture that exemplifies great fun 
and great work. And that's essentially why I started Your One and Only. That and a whole bunch of other things peppered into it. But that's just to give you an idea because for context. So once you define your business goal, it's like, you know, what you want to do with the business and what your key goals are. How exactly are you going to grow? How big do you want to grow? Where do you want to be located? So all of this stuff kind of works into how you map out your strategy. So you identify a target market, you do some research and you understand ideal customers and demographics, figure out pain points and needs. I'll talk about pain points later, but this basically helps you to create like tailored strategies so you can have a better approach to speak to these people, right? So that you attract not only people from from a customer point of view, but from a employee point of view. Like it should amplify in both directions, both internal and external. And then you understand your competitive landscape. So you have to look at your competitors' strengths and weaknesses. And a lot of people go, I don't like looking at my competitors. And I actually don't like to look at our competitors either. However, I was explaining to one of my business friends the other day that the competitors within her landscape are really important to look at because they each hold a specific trait or differentiation that are, that are related around their personality and she's not like them. And they're both not the same. Every one of them is different. They're all personal brands, so that's fine. But And that's the space that they're in. But when I said to her, I came to you because of this reason and because I didn't get that with the other two, And the other two, as an example, was one was very alpha female and hello, I'm alpha female. So I didn't, didn't feel that vibe. Like there's a difference between, you know, you can have two alpha females, it's fine, but I didn't like the delivery or or the way that she approached things. Not that she did it wrong, just that I didn't like it. Um, And I was sus on it. And then the other one was a bit too um, woo girl which is fine. Again, that's just not me. It might be you. It's just not me. So she didn't have any of those traits and that's what drew me to her. She was very down to earth, very conversational. And now you've heard from what I'm starting my business for, you can understand why that attracted me. So that's why it's so important to understand the competitive landscape because it's not just about what they're doing and how you can do it better. It's about how you differentiate from them and what do you have that's unique that they don't have so that you can actually use that to your advantage in your messaging system. So then we start to develop brand strategy, right? As we work through this list, it's basically a way for you to include your core messaging for your brand and not just messaging, but your core everything. So there's two elements of a brand. It's internal, external. I spoke about it in one of our earlier episodes. You can go back and have a look. But basically your internals like your mission, your vision, your USP, which is your unique selling proposition, um, and your values. And that pretty much will determine how you communicate your brand identity and attract an audience. So these are just the key pillars to starting. So then you can really channel into your target audience, right? So you can do market research. And if you're just starting, you just need to kind of figure out the space that you're in, the area that you're in, and how you can identify key attributes 
through data and research. But generally when we're working with clients, we're looking at that growth stage. So you would already have a, you know, a good lot of data on file from your previous sales and history. So you want to do surveys, potentially interviews, but basically gathering information about your audience and their behaviors and expectations and what they loved and didn't love. And this is why reviews are important. We get all of our testimonials that tell us what we do really well, and that's great. But when I ask for reviews from my clients, I literally write in the review, please tell me what you didn't like. We're not going to take offense to this. This is so we can improve our service. And they're, they're honest with us. And I love that. And we've had a recent client um, earlier this year where we botched the process a little bit um, by accident. Uh, the timelines were um, miscommunicated. And so that to me was a was an identifier that I needed to go back and understand where that went wrong, how it went wrong. And now we've put something in place to counteract that ever happening again. So we can, you know, stop that. So getting negative feedback isn't bad. Getting negative feedback is good. It's how you respond to that negative feedback. And I busted my ass off and I got everything out to them. So it was like, you know, should have been, I expected to send work out over, I think it was like a six week period. And I managed to get six weeks worth of work done in a week. Not going to lie, very, very hard week, but got it done. And the result of that was that the client was just over the moon because I was able to reel that back in and work my ass off to make sure that they got their stuff when they needed it. And that was so highly appreciative of them that I got, you know, rave reviews at the end. So you can turn a customer from a negative experience into a positive experience that will probably far outweigh a general positive experience. So if they've experienced something that's been shit or something's gone wrong and you can fix it, then you're not only showing them that they you, they can trust you, but you're showing them that you can you can resolve a problem quickly and efficiently. And I think that that is more important than anything and something that I'm actually going to put out on our socials because I think that that message is important. When people look to use someone, they don't just look for how you can do it well. They they don't want to part with money because of the risk that's involved. And the risk is usually because what if something goes wrong? Well, let me tell you what happens if something goes wrong. This is what happens. And so that's important because then it gets rid of one of the questions that's playing on their mind that stops them from parting away with money. That dived into a little bit more than I wanted to with that, but that just gives you a bit of an understanding of why market research is important, especially with existing client research, not necessarily market research, but your current existing client base. And so understanding your market is essentially just figuring out who's buying your product. Not everyone is going to buy your product and that is what you need to understand. And product is obviously your services as well, right? So it's understanding why people are going to use you and what they're looking for. So like I mentioned before, people would want to come to us because they want to know that there's a element of care and friendliness and a really, I guess, unpretentious is what we would say. But yeah, it's the smooth casual process like we're having fun we're sending gifts it's we want you to enjoy the experience we don't want this to be overwhelming because a brand refresh brand strategy and development process can be quite tedious and we want to make sure that every step of the way 
is an enjoyable experience and that it's something that you really had fun partaking in. So that's why market research is important. It's understanding why people are buying, why they may not be buying and how you can work to tell them why you exist and why why you, they should be buying from you, whether that be product or service. And then the next step from that is to understand how to develop buyer personas. So your buyer personas aren't just your general blanket target market, which is like, you know, 35, blah, blah, blah. I'm talking about really dive into the people that you have loved working with and why. So I have key clients that I love working with um, and they are basically the names of my personas. And there's different, there's three different categories um, and each one of them symbolizes a different area of business and it's also a different, you know, different spend, um, but also a different approach to how you would speak with those people, what their buying motivations are, what life stage they're at, um, what they're experiencing within their business, what you can do to help them during specific stage of business and figuring out what their problems are for where they are right now and how you can counteract that. So that when you start to develop content and material that are going to go out to these people, that you're answering the problems. So that's why buyer personas are important because the, and these should be like an ongoing process because as we've all experienced over the last couple of years, big, big, big changes. So therefore big changes, they trickle through to literally buying behaviors and how we spend money and why we spend money and what we value in our money. And there is a whole thing called Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You should check it out, go to Google and, and type that in. But basically it's a pyramid and the pyramid is reflective of how people spend money. I will do a whole thing on this because it is quite in depth, but basically food, water, shelter, safety is at the base and sleep. That's pretty much what you need to live. So, you know, if you're struggling at the moment or someone you know is struggling or anyone that's struggling, people are only going to spend money on what they need to eat, sleep, be safe, security. You know what I mean? So it's understanding where people are at in that triangle because not everyone's at the top, which is where they invest in, you know, impulse buys and things. And there's elements of impulse buying that is important um, because it still builds into a social structure. So, you know, if you, for instance, Taylor Swift tickets, people were spending big money on Taylor Swift tickets because it provided them a sense of an escape from their current reality. Therefore, spending money on that, on an experience that they know is going to do that for them is not risky for them. Also, it's a very rare opportunity that she's just in the country at that time. So the demand and the timing and I guess the, um, what do you call it? The, you know, how often, the frequency, there you go. the frequency of, of when it's coming changes. So all of those things come into the buying behavior and the risk and the way that you would weigh up that choice come into the equation. But again, I'll talk about this later, but that's why people would spend a big amount of money on that as opposed to spending money in their business because they know that those opportunities can present themselves on the daily. It's just a matter of them taking action, right? So it's understanding that. Now we look at a competitive analysis, which is diving more into the, the landscape, but it's important to research your competitors to you know figure out where you differentiate. See if you can understand their strategy because it might be that they have a completely different objective. Now we go back to the original business goal. 
Here at your one and only, I do not want to grow above 10 people. 10 people even sounds like too much for me now. I would be really happy with a six, with a six person studio. I'm trying to think if that would be feasible. You know what I mean? Like a six or seven person studio sounds to me like the best. I would rather continue to work on clients that we really love to work with, have a wait list out the door um, and just continue to work on a small boutique space and be in demand than to grow my business to, you know, a 50 to 100 person agency that's on the harbour in Sydney. That does not, that not, none of that to me sounds appealing. I would rather a small, really like firing group of people that just absolutely kill it at what they do. Flexibility 101, great working culture, really great connections. And I'm not saying family because I don't think family should ever be used in like a working environment, but like a really great, um, you know, connection with the team so that you know that you can really rely on one another. And I think that that to me means more than anything. So if you're going out and you're looking at a competitor and you're trying to do what the competitor's doing, but you have completely different goals into what you want from your business and you're trying to grow your business to be a six person, you know, boutique agency versus a hundred person agency, those strategies are going to be so vastly different. And you don't want to just go and use someone else's strategy because it's not necessarily going to align with your original business goal. So Keep that in mind. That is probably the most important thing I can tell you today. So then we look into like a USP, which is your unique selling proposition. And basically it highlights your key advantages that you have to offer your people and, you know, why you're in businesses and why you're here. So it wraps up your vision, your mission and, and your purpose. And it pretty much identifies in, you know, one in, you know, one paragraph if you wanted to get really long, but generally a couple of sentences about, who you are and why you're existing, who you're serving, like who you serve and, why, and, and basically why you're here is kind of, you know, a, a really good way to put it. So I'm going to end it here today because I would love to do a part two of this so we don't go for hours. However, if you're wanting to get a bit of a comprehensive guide on how you can start to develop the key aspects of a brand strategy, then head to our website and do your one and only forward slash more. It's the same page that we use for our link in bio for Instagram, but the very first button is a nice big red one that is for the download for our brand action plan. And it is a really great guide for helping you understand the steps that are involved in developing those first few stages of a brand strategy. And I highly recommend you jump over there and have a look. For now, that is where I'm going to end it. And if, of course, you have any questions, you know where to find me. That is at your one and only underscore AU. Or you can head over to my personal page, which is going to start bringing a lot of high-end kind of thought leadership um, conversations on consumer behavior and, and, uh, you know, buyer psychology and more of that top-level design uh, psychology aspect. So yeah, head over there, have a geezer and jump in and have a conversation. But for now, stay tuned as we bring in part two next week. Did you like that episode? I hope so. Because if you did, why don't you head over to whatever platform you listen on and rate and review. It's much appreciated and helps others know what we're about. 
If you want to follow us, you can find us at your one and only underscore au on Instagram or head to www.youwannandonly.com.au.